boy, look out. I hear them. I hear those sleigh bells. They're coming for you. The sleigh bells is coming for you. And there ain't a damn thing you can do about it, fella. The holidays, they are indeed upon us. Welcome to Texture That Beginning Had No purpose or point other than we have a jingle bell a singular one from our christmas tree and i brought it outside in the garage with me how how are you guys how are you doing it's been a little while i have not been great but i'm glad i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be back and i'm glad to have a great guest let me tell you about this person my guest this episode is uh dorothy and I'm not going to pronounce her last name because she said it once on the show and um, it was, and I don't remember how she said it. So I'm not going to say it. You can look at it in the, and, you, and you'll hear it later. Anyway, Dorothy is a, a writer, a director, a producer, pretty much all the hats you can probably wear on a movie set. She's worn them, partner. And uh, I, well, anyway, we talk about how we met, but anyway, Dorothy is a new friend and someone who kindly agreed to jump on a Skype call and record this conversation with me. And it's great. And I just want to give the uh, couple preambles, couple little caveats here, which is one, sorry for the, the audio quality. It's a little janky just because we were recording a web call. So it's occasionally glitchy and it's, you know, whatever. You can handle that. It's still audible. And uh, the other is just just a sort of forewarning and I'm not even I'm not even apologizing for this I'm just sort of calling out that this is a little different conversation than what this you know than what texture usually is than what you might be used to it's so Dorothy being a filmmaker we talked a lot about making movies and experiences on set and just writing and and she asks a bunch of questions about cordial kill um, very kindly and you know so anyway but it's it's less heavy on the you know care for yourself meditate be nice to your buns sort of material that texture is used to bringing you but all that to say i mean texture i i want it to have you know i, I always want to come back to that stuff but i also would prefer for this show to just be wide open and i you know can and will talk to all different sorts of people from different walks of life and i want to make movies and Dorothy has made movies, and so uh, she made for great conversation. And I hope you guys dig it. And um, what else was I going to tell you? I made myself a list. Oh, you know, I was thinking about making movies. And I think that making a feature-length motion picture is one of the hardest things that a human being can set out to do. Because think about it for a minute. And, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making a joke. I really think it is one of the hardest tasks an individual can take on because, um, you know, think about this. Photography or videographers, those exist. Uh, musicians and music exists. Acting exists. Painting and art and, and craft and all that exists. Recording sound exists. And writing fictional narratives those all exist making a feature film is combining all of those elements into one condensed experience where they they have to mesh 
or it's not going to be a good movie, you know? And um, I guess the only reason I, I take time to dwell on that is is because just the simple fact that not a lot of people are going to be on a, on a movie set in their life or have the opportunity to direct something. And it, it just... All I'm trying to say is I think it's very hard and that I'm very impressed by anyone who can can make a feature film or let alone make a short. And um, I'm not even trying to refer to myself in that. Anyway, it's just very interesting. It's a very daunting task making a movie. I mean, the, the logistics and planning and money and conversations alone are, are kind of enough to give some people an anxiety attack if you know if it was just spelled out everything that needs to get done it's a crazy thing and yet those who persevere end up often with something so remarkable that will be around in archives for a long time uh you know like beyond that person's life potentially so it's a beautiful interesting medium that we have and so i'm just I'm very much in awe of other filmmakers because it's very hard. And I was also going to say, and I will get to the guest shortly. By the way, if it's your first time here, welcome. Glad to have you. You're probably here because you're a friend of Dorothy's. And I hope you enjoy this silly, silly show. I have a Patreon page. And let me tell you what Patreon is. Doggone it! It's not just artists asking for money, even though that's precisely what it is. It's saying, hey, just throwing a slowball pitch out into the world there. Anybody picking up on what I'm doing here at Texture? Anybody down with this content? Is it helpful to your life? I don't know. And, and if it is, if anybody connects the bat with that little pitch, then, uh, then perhaps the Texture Patreon page is the place for you. It's a tiny little community of folks who adore texture so much that they give me a little bit of their mammon every month which helps pay for things that go into this show and i know it's 2018 i know that everybody has a patreon now i know that there's shysters out there stealing your money for bullshit i know that uh it's it's sleazy and shitty and it doesn't feel good to ask for money i know listen i know and i'm still asking it's helpful and it's an opportunity for you if you enjoy the show. So if you want to support Texture, if you dig and appreciate what I'm doing and you want it to continue with fewer days in between uh, than this episode and the last one, then go to patreon.com slash texturepod. Patreon.com slash texturepod. And thank you. Thank you to my supporters out there already. It's incredible. It's a beautiful thing to be to be cared for that much by another human being, let alone multiple human beings. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, and lastly, last thing before we get to the conversation with Dorothy. Uh, I've been forgetting to include quotes, even though that was one of the integral, like, most important parts to me when I started this show, is, like, I'm a reader, gotta have some fucking quotes in there! Because books and words can save our lives. Um, Dorothy shares a great quote on this episode. You're going to hear it. That's a freebie, bonus quote. But here's this, since this is a conversation a lot about movies and film, I dug up a little gem from my current, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say current favorite director, which is Lars von Trier. Lars, Lars von Trier. 
right? Danish. And uh, this is a quote that comes from his movie Epidemic. And here we are. Quote, a film should be a pebble in your shoe. End quote. That is such a gorgeous little nugget of truth and wisdom that does a remarkable job of summing it up. And I think that that's true not only of films, but of just about any art discipline or, uh, or sort of ambition or project that one might have that, that a, an art piece or an album or a film or a book should be like a pebble in your shoe. Meaning that it, it just, that idea won't go away. It troubles you and it, and it like pokes at you and irritates you until you make it and you push it out into the world and you remove that pebble you remove that discomfort of the soul and something new entered the world that was not there before. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful quote. And it, it's, um, it also manages to, I love how it just, it integrates like an acknowledgement that it's, there is an unpleasantness. There's work to crafting something, you know, that it's not, it doesn't come easily and that that one must persevere and stay with it it's beautiful i love that quote it's like it, it's so simple and short and yet there's a lot going on there so uh without further delay let's get to my conversation with dorothy here it is all right well let's do it dorothy thank you for being here <laughs> on texture we got to figure it figured out <laughs> Josh, it is my pleasure. And I feel like so tech savvy right now. So I'm like riding on a cloud. Let's do this. Good. Excellent. Um, well, so we had met extremely briefly at the Prairie Lights Film Festival, one uh, early snowy morning at a breakfast diner. And it's actually kind of amazing that you stopped me because otherwise this wouldn't be happening right now. And I wouldn't have been introduced to your films and never would have made that connection. So, um, very cool. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. It worked out great because I remember seeing your film and being like, damn, that was awesome. And then my friend, my producing partner, Chad and I are leaving the restaurant and I'm like, doesn't that guy look like the guy that was in that short film? And Chad's like, pretty sure that is the guy. And I was like, hold on. Cause we were literally heading home. I'm like, I got to talk to him just really quickly. And so, yeah, it was perfect. And we, it was not even five minutes. I was like, here, just take my card. I have so many questions for you. You're like, I'm meeting friend, family. I can't. I was like, great. Okay. Another time. Oh, so it was great. yeah. 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 Now you had a film in the fest, correct? That's and right. It, and it was not your first time there even, was it? No, I'm proud to say that we've been at the Prairie Lights Film Festival for all the years it's run. I think it's fine. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Um, what was the this most recent one? What played this year? So we did a sci-fi short called I Belong to Me. And that's what screened there. Okay, right on. So now you've got quite a quite a catalog of of productions under your belt, both commercial work but also your own features. Um what what initially drew you to filmmaking and when did it start? What? Okay. Well, I'm going to try and make this like a short, no, just 
So obviously, I think for a lot of people that become filmmakers, they see a film when they're a kid that makes them go, oh my God, like I can do that. I want to do that. That's 100% what the case was for me. It was a toss up probably between Terminator and Star Wars. I don't really remember which one it was. Right now, I always say that I always think that it was probably Terminator because Terminator like gathers together like some of my favorite genres. It's like an action sci-fi horror and it's just and just still holds up to this day. Say what you will about the effects that I don't care about, but the story. But okay, but that aside. So then I probably I grew up in a small town in South Carolina and the idea of being a filmmaker is just ridiculous, obviously. Both my parents were Mm -hmm. teachers. But I always kind of harbored this idea, like maybe I could work on the fringes of filmmaking. There was a period of time where I was like, maybe I could make the posters for films. That would be cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then there was some point in, it must have been post-graduate school, where I was in Boulder, Colorado, and suddenly like, you could just get video cameras anywhere, it seemed like. And I was like, I'm making a short film right now, right now. And I was working for the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. And there were some people there that were making a documentary of the festival. And I was immediately like, hello, hi, can I see your camera? Like just (laughs) 100% just slid up to them and was just like attached to their hip. Who is this girl? Too late. And from there, just a huge jump off to like everything that I'd always wanted, Josh. Always. Oh my gosh. I know. So it was a long wait, but I finally kind of got there. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have the sort of personality that is built for um, the kind of skills you need just to be a director, like almost apart from the whole shooting and filming side, but just all the, the meetings and the, the permission you have to get to film places. And it sounds like you're pretty forward and outgoing and just ready to like get in there and get all that pre-production stuff done. Is that true? (laughs) You're so sweet to say that. No, it's 100% manufactured real talk. I am a total introvert. I don't know. I feel like that is really the case for a lot of folks that want to direct, but or just make movies in general, but you make yourself do it. And at some point it becomes like an easier skin to slip into. I'm good with it. There's a lot about it that I like, but that pre-production asking for permission and explaining yourself to people over and over and over again, like here's what we're going to do. And I need you to show up and give me everything you've got, even though it's this tiny little pre-production is the hardest part. Josh, that's my opinion. Your thoughts on that. Tell me. Uh, well, I agree. And I initially, I mean, I've only made one, but still did ended up doing plenty of that part. And it, it is, it's like, I realized as I went that it wasn't as scary as I was making it out to be. And that if you just come in and you're confident and you know what you're looking for, not even in a forceful way, just in like a kind but forward way, then usually people assume you kind of are um, a little bigger than you actually are <laughs> in terms of influence yes. and like importance. And, and that's, that ended up being very nice. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah, I do not feel built for that sort of thing at all. And I, and I had some really good helpers who kind of d- did some of that as well. So anyway, 
That's really nice. I'm really fortunate that I have a producing partner that I work with. He's a creative partner all the time. We write Mm -hmm. together. He shoots almost everything or, you know, is a huge, huge part of the process. We work together. And so without him, I, I don't know if I would have gone as gotten as much done as I've been able to. Totally. Yes. Those, uh, those camaraderies are so important when you're on the same page with someone who's yeah, basically driving your vision forward or helping you achieve it. Yeah. Yeah. That Um, shared language, you know what I mean? And that automatic support where, you know, they're not just going to look at you and be like, I don't get it. They're going to, yeah, figure it out. So, yeah. Have you continued to use the same people through most of your, or at least the three features as far as like sound guy and lighting and, and, or not necessarily, have you worked with different people? I would say I've probably been working to build a team that I feel like is really passionate and can get behind a project for it throughout the features that we've done. It's always been Chad and I, and I feel like every feature we meet someone or some ones that we want to bring to the next feature. And then, you know, we build it to the next feature after that. So by now I feel like, yeah, we've got some amazing people that are, you know, there to be those additional artists people that care as much about sound as we care about just the big picture. They care as much about, you know, fill in the blank. So, yeah. Yes. How, how is the, film scene so to speak in in nebraska or at least how how is the sort of like the well of people that you have to draw from for crew and actors and and just the spirit of how excited are people about filmmaking or is it kind of not not a lot going on you know it's interesting the lincoln film scene continues to burgeon and i think that that's because um unl has a film and new media department so there's a lot of students or, you know, they'll graduate from college if they stick around Lincoln, they want to continue doing what they were doing in school. A lot of folks end up leaving, of course, because you can't make a living doing that here. There's obviously, so they'll go to the coast or maybe they'll start by going to Chicago. So our pool really ebbs and flows when it comes to talent. Well, we might I think we're lucky that we have access to a lot of 20 something acting talent because that's what rolls through the theater and the film departments here. They're almost always going to leave. And, you know, whether or not if they come back is kind of like, I don't know. And then folks, I think that stick around, everybody wants to be a director and that is great. Like everyone, Mm. if you want to do it, you should have that opportunity to do it. But what that kind of means is that it's harder to find those supporting artists that make an on-screen vision so rich that adds, you know, that add the detail and the care to everything that you're seeing from, you know, the costumes and the sets, etc. So when I saw your short, I've thought, cause you made that, I'm in Colorado, right? You shot that in Denver? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, my understanding is the Denver scene is pretty rich. Am I right? Pool is deep. Well, it's, I, I'm the wrong person to ask, but I'll give you my assessment of it, which is, I mean, also everybody gets out of university and leaves. Um, there's here, it seems like it's almost nothing but commercial work, like very corporate uh 
advertising that at least my filmmaker friends, that is the only way they can continue making a living. And then occasionally they'll get to do like one or two narrative pieces a year. Um, I feel like such a, I mean, I, I didn't even belong on set really in, in many ways. I wrote this and my next door neighbor happens to be a very good friend who works in the film, de- worked in the film department um, at CU Denver and like connected me to all these incredible people. So anyway, that wasn't your question. Um, but it's, I, I still feel if, if I try to go to, or like the Denver film festival just happened yeah. and I, I went to only one event. Um, I didn't even get a pass or anything. I felt so out of my element. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like a little peon who, who like had no good reason to be there and that every, I don't know, but also people play up their own glitz, which is not really true. (laughs) They they act as if they're more important than, than they are. But so it's a weird thing. I just, I feel pretty out of the loop, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop making things. But it's it's sort of unfortunate that I feel like there probably is a community here, but I haven't been able to break into it. So, which that's amazing because that. when I think about the resources that it certainly looked like your short has, I was really blown away. I mean, you guys executed that at a really high quality from where I stand. And I yeah, yeah tell me a that, little. I you. mean, tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Yes. Thank you for interviewing me now, Dorothy. Uh, Oh, my pleasure. So, but let's see. So, yeah, my friend Trevor is incredible. He's the one who shot the movie. Um, He's an amazing DP and he is the ultimate gear head person. He always knows about the newest lenses and cameras and he dives into that stuff. So that's great. And like I said, he's my next door neighbor currently and he's a very good friend so he um <laughs> people who listen to this show have heard a little bit of this before but cordial kill was just a short story that trevor read and then he was like we need to make this and i was like okay <laughs> because i i had always even since being a kid directing was the number one thing i wanted to do you know all the stereotypical things made home videos with my cousins and uh, and just reached a point in life in my mid twenties where I thought, well, the doors haven't opened for me. I'm never going to do this. Um, and then weirdly a door opened out of nowhere. Wow. And so all the, and uh, thank you for saying what you did about cordial kill. Cause I, I agree the production value is really high and I had nothing to do with that. Um, so he just knew good people from around here in the industry who love him cause he's, really kind and, and like on time. And he's just, you know, he's the kind of person you want to work with again. So he got us a sound guy and he got us a couple grips and just a few people were willing to work just for food. Other people, we paid their daily rate. Um, and our actors, our other actors, we just found on Craigslist. Um, so we were able to sort of piece together something that looked really good for a lot cheaper than it should have cost. Um, yeah, I mean, we shot on a red Epic dragon and we got to use that for free Oh my just because of, God, stop it. Stop. I, Seriously. I, I know. Well, and see now, but I may have gotten lucky once and the next time around I'll have, 
uh, I'll run into a bunch of problems or it will just be way more expensive. But, um, so yeah, that is kind of how mine came about. And I, I recognize I am, uh, unbelievably, uh, fortunate and I'm very grateful to have such a good looking short. So my read of that story is that Trevor essentially was your producer and Kickstarter, and I don't mean that like in the fundraising scenario, I mean like in the, hey man, we need to make this, and then I will begin this ball rolling, and we will make it. Is that, did I read that right? Well, you're yeah, mostly, at least in terms of Trevor made me realize that the resources were there to make something really good. And then, um, I mean, I ended up doing most of the other things, um, unfortunately, and, and that was a learning process, but anyway, to answer your question, yeah, Trevor for sure kickstarted it. That makes sense. So he, he opened the door and you were like, yes, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So here's one of the things that I thought when I saw that project and then was looking at the credits afterwards, because there are a lot of films, when you go to film festivals, sometimes at some point you realize like, oh, this is not a film for me. And then you just close your eyes and nap gently. Then you wake up later and Mm. you watch whatever the next one is. That is not how I approached Cordial Kill. I was like, oh, oh. Oh, and then I was like, who fucking made this? Let me find out. So I saw that you wrote it, you directed it, and you also acted in it. And then I was like, I have to find out more about this because there's kind of two things that I think about read that. One is I've been wanting to write a project that I would act in and also direct. But the thing that I've been thinking about a bunch is how hard it is. It's hard enough to wear all the hats of directing and producing. And then when I think about the different sort of skill set that's required when it comes to acting, which is way more sort of open and like going with the flow, or that's my feeling, when directing is way more about looking into the future or attempting to you know, just lay your vision and will as much as you can kind of across the flow of events. I just thought, how did he bounce back and forth? Like, talk about that. So I would have to attribute that to just having amazing people on set who understood things very quickly and having at least a couple of meetings beforehand and doing storyboards and vision boards and all that stuff. Just... So basically all that to say, once it came time to shoot, um, pretty much I would just set up the shot with Trevor and then I would go act for four or five takes and then we'd really quick watch like one of them. And as long as the shot looked okay, I would just trust that we got it. So, um, it was very fly by the seat of my pants and I weirdly that three day experience, I feel almost like I wasn't the director because I was so focused on getting all the lines. And (laughs) um, so thank God I had talented people surrounding me, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like somehow it just worked out and um, it, it wasn't as, as complicated as it might sound like it was. And on, on your side, you definitely should do that and you should act in your own thing. 
Because I'll bet you could. Thank you. And I appreciate that a bunch. Okay, but so did you have an assistant director on set that was running the set for you? Um, no. Well, no. There were so few people. It's like I, some of the people, I don't even really know what their term was. Um, but no, we, we really didn't. I mean, Trevor kind of did a lot of that stuff just because he's been on so many sets. Uh-huh. Um but it, I don't know, our, our set was small enough and non-chaotic enough that it wasn't too difficult for people to kind of just wrangle themselves or, or for Trevor to do most of that. So yes and no, I, you know, did, there wasn't a first, an official first ID. I mean, and my first producer, I had to fire her, which was really bizarre. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, not on set. And, and to be clear, that wasn't me like flying off the handle or something. This was way two months early in pre-production. And this girl was just, I know you didn't ask this, but she, she was dropping the ball on everything and clearly had no desire to, to be a part of the, the movie. So I don't know why she agreed to. Right. And I was like, listen, uh, we're doing all the jobs that you're supposed to be doing. You, we don't need you here. So that's like the, anyway. yes, the gentlest and the best kind of firing. But so here, so then that says to me that everyone that was on your set had worked on other sets before professionally. Would that be the case? Definitely. Okay. Uh, pretty much everyone except me. Yeah. <laughs> well, then that makes a huge difference. And if Trevor was also essentially, let's call it kind of halfway ADing it which it needs to be done. Somebody's got to keep stuff moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things that I've thought about when I think of, when I think about this project that I want to act in is finding somebody that can run the set for me, because that is a big part of what I end up doing during production. You know, pre-production is making yeah. all the decisions, you know, directing and gathering your resources, producing. But during production, there's a whole lot of me first ADing. And I'm good at it in the sense that I know exactly where we need to go and what needs to happen next. But I've always thought yes. that it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a leech on your creative decision-making. Totally. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you could have somebody that was kind of babysitting that and you didn't have people that were just sort of wandering away. A lot of our sets are people that have passion. They have desire, which translates into passion. And we're lucky enough to have some consummate professionals like our audio and our lighting guys, but some of the other stuff, not so much. So I always feel mm. like they need to be wrangled up and keep that energy moving forward or people just sort of begin to, you know, like the whole ball of wax kind of starts to fall apart. Totally. So, yes. Yeah. So what a sweet yeah. spot for you. So tell me this, did you take any acting classes? Did you just give it a lot of thought? Had you looked at yourself on camera before? Talk about that. Um, it was mainly, okay, I'll answer this and then it's back to you. Questions about all right, you. All right, all right. Um, but, but we can talk about this stuff anytime. <laughs> um, so no, uh, I acted some in high school just in two productions, but between that and and I mean, you know, I'd made silly little backyard like camcorder movies where I, I was in uh, in them. But otherwise, I know this is a cliche answer, but it's just I've watched a thousand movies and I have a very like I'm not 
uh, tooting my own horn. I, I just, I'm very observant about the way that people act and speak and, um, just mannerisms and movements and stuff. And I've always been a big reader and, and have been writing for a number of years. And so I think, um, that's where sort of the dialogue came from and just, I don't know. So since I wrote this, the story and since I wrote this character, I just, I knew exactly what I wanted him to be like. And even though I was, I'm younger and more skinny than I wanted this guy to be. I, I would have preferred to cast my movie with all like mid forties or, or older, like kind of disgruntled guys who look, <laughs> who look like mob guys instead of a bunch of 30 year olds. But, um, anyway, <laughs> a bunch of yeah. super cute hipsters that are kind of like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're just like, are we believable? As, <laughs> Which you as, guys were. As good fellas. You were. Okay. <laughs> and that was honestly, honestly, some of the most amazing stuff, because that is certainly what I have learned over the work that I've done is you can put everything in place, but it really does come down to the people saying the words. If the next mm -hmm. feature that we make, the money that we have, that's going to go to getting somebody that can really make it come to life. So, okay. So keep talking. You knew this character. You yeah. were, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also there's kind of a weird, I guess I can equate this to being on stage. I don't know if you've ever been in a band or like had to get in front and talk in a bunch in front of a bunch of people, but for, at least for me, and I know this isn't the case for everyone, something kicks in where I can kind of lose all, um, fear about what people think. And there's like an anonymity that, that kicks in and so it becomes easy to just be really charismatic and, and crazy and fun and so s strangely being on camera felt the same to where if I was acting in like a well uh, yeah it, I'll just I'll just leave it at that <laughs> I felt more comfortable I, f I weirdly as a person feel more comfortable either on a microphone or, or in front of a camera just because I feel for some reason like I can let loose a little more. Right. Whereas in, in my normal life, I'm very reserved and pretty quiet and like not outgoing. So anyway. That is fascinating. You know, I will say <laughs> I was in a band in college and you're right. There is like a, a strange sense of anonymity. Like I can do whatever I want up here. Everyone's looking mm -hmm. at me, and yet I feel like we're in a, a separate space where we're all something, something, something. It's all, yeah, it's all about energy, and that's hard to put words to. Yeah, totally. Which might, I mean, that very sort of thing might kick in for you if you were to act in your own feature. Um, or it might not, but have you done, have you done any acting before? Yep, yep, I did... Um, acted in college some. I've been in some shorts, but I don't know really what I, where I was kind of going with that. I've noticed this is a weird thing that I have, and I feel like this is part of, not a problem necessarily, but a funny thing is I hate having my picture taken. And so mm. anytime someone's like, oh, let's take a selfie, I'm like, fuck, no, I hate it. <laughs> Anyway, and so I feel like that's in a strange way given me like this odd um, complex about getting in front of a camera. There have been times where I've been like, man, if I just had 
like another me to direct me, then I would be like, let's, it's going to be like this, but maybe I just feel like I need that permission and that anything is okay. You know how sometimes, Hmm. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this certainly happened to me. I'll have a story in mind that I really want to make, but I cannot find the clarity for it until I find the person to be the muse for it. Oh, interesting. And so once that person arrives in my life, finally the story that I've been like keeping on the shelf and pulling down and looking at it and going someday, someday, just kind of starts to coalesce around them. And and sometimes, you know, I'll force it like we're putting this together now that you're here, person. Yeah. And I wish, I don't know. The other thing that I think too is that I don't know why this would necessarily be the case. I feel like maybe I have super high expectations of myself because mm. I look at a lot of, of actors and like you, I've seen thousands of movies and, you know, over and over and over again, just dissecting everything that I can kind of lay my mind on and good acting. It is a powerful, powerful thing. Hard to replicate. Yeah. It's just so of a moment captured So that kind of takes me back to my same kind of mind blower when I saw Cordial Kill. It was just like, it just felt so natural and real. You were just on it. So. Well, thank you. That's incredibly kind. You're welcome. And I'm I'm glad glad it came across that way. That was obviously the hope. Um, So let's, you touched on this briefly there. Let's talk about the writing. Did you, so you wrote all three of your features, correct? Wake the Witch, Blood Rites, and Corruptor? That is basically true. Wake the Witch, yes. I wrote that all me. Blood okay. Rites, that was Chad and I co-writing. And then Corruptor, cool. we had a friend come up with the story. And then Chad and I did a lot of the story brainstorming. And then I ultimately wrote the script. Okay. So how, what's your writing process like and, and how long have each of these roughly taken you and do you have manic episodes while you're writing and think you're terrible and think you'll never finish it and all that stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the writing process, right? It feels like it's a little different every time and it gets a little better. That's certainly my hope. You know, Wake the Witch was the first feature that I ever did. And I did it because I had seen a movie at Blockbuster. For those of you listening who don't know what Blockbuster is, it's a place where you could go to rent movies in physical space and then watch them on devices in your t- on your television, in your living room. You better be kind and rewind those suckers. That's right. Too. That's right. So at Blockbuster, there was this movie called Fear of Clowns that um, a friend of mine had seen and was just like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And I was like, (laughs) I have to see this movie. So I went to Blockbuster, rented it. It was terrible. And the best thing about it was it was at Blockbuster. And I thought, if this motherfucker can make a film and get into Blockbuster, I know I can make a film. Come on. Yes. So thank you to the Fear of Clowns director. Like, you guys were awesome. I really appreciate that. But so... I was writing this synopsis for a film that I wanted to make about aliens and it doesn't matter. The point is I ended the synopsis and I was like, we don't have the resources to make this. Then I thought, what resources do we have? So I just made a list and then I just wrote 
this script over probably a month and was just okay. super happy with it. Like, oh, it's done. Now we're making it. And, nice. you know, yeah. huge props to my friends who were just like, okay. So we made it. And then Netflix picked it up. And so that was unexpected and like a really yeah. Holy cow. sweet, like, it wasn't like a, in no way was it a quit your job payday, but it was a return sure, that sure. we just did not like, well, all right. So still just to, to, that's what an honor to have them see it as, as good enough to include in their library. That's pretty awesome. I felt the I same think. way. I think there were some, you know, there's some factors that really like fell in our favor for that. It's not that wake the witch is the crazy great film because it really is not. But it's a film that I made, so I love it. Yeah. But, um, you know, the writing process for Blood Rights was kind of piecemeal because Chad and I were writing it back and forth, and we weren't in the same town together for most of the time that that happened. And um, then once we got to Corruptor, I realized that my writing style is a lot more um, sort of novel-like. It's kind of mm-hmm. like more complicated and I'm constantly wanting to like add new characters in and like have these plot things where like, but this, or I don't know. So I thought I need to find somebody who can really distill a story down. Cause I've been reading a lot about story structure and I just thought yeah. I want, that's the thing we can focus on the most. We you know we're not ever going to have these giant budgets, but if I could tell a story like, in a, a with a really tight structure, I feel like I could be successful no matter what our resource level was. So we have a friend who's out in Los Angeles who makes a whole lot of films that he just like, boom, boom, boom. I don't really know how he does it. He can shoot a movie in like a week and turn it around. And it's like a, you know, his sense of structure is tight. I mean, he just knows like the most beautiful, basic, simple stuff that I'm always like, no, it's too simple. That's too boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Mm. I can't write that. Mm-hmm. Can't be a part of that. Sure. But so Dustin will, Dustin basically just took these ideas that I had and was just like, okay, here, here is just the most simple story structure. And then I was like, yay, I'll take this and then just add a whole bunch of stuff on top of it. Okay. And he's done that for all three or for what was that for one specific one? Just for Corruptor, just for the most recent okay. one that we did. So he just provided what, what I would essentially call like the story. Um, oh my God. What is the word? I'm like a plot, essentially. Plot sure, A, sure, B, yeah. C, D. And then I was like, all right, then I'm going to flesh this out. I'm going to write these scenes. I'm going to add in these characters. And it's probably the simplest movie we've told and still really complicated at the same time. Yeah. So I have so many questions about that, <laughs> that, that, all that, but, uh, so let's see, I guess what, how many days were you shooting on each of these, on each of the features? Okay. So wake the witch and blood rights. Our first two features were 28 day shoots. Okay. And That's pretty. Right. Yeah. Corruptor, we (laughs) challenged ourselves to do it faster. And it was like principal photography, 14 days. Okay, nice. Yeah. And we'd we'd learned a lot. And I felt like, I felt like we've executed pretty well. Yeah. 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 
Um, and I'm always so fascinated by where the heck money comes from. Right. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not asking you to give specific numbers, but just how, how did you go about raising funding for each of these? I, yeah. So here's what we did. And it's like, so nothing. It, what it really means is more time and less money because we looked at the very basic shit that we had to purchase. And the great thing was from our end is that we weren't renting equipment or worrying about, oh, we got to shoot with a whatever the highest level camera was at the time. Or we need these lenses, yeah. blah, blah, blah. No. Chad had had put together this amazingly practical package of lights and camera and audio. Because just like Trevor... You know, I feel like every director needs to know someone who is like a complete gear maniac. Chad, same way, yes. always doing the research, always looking at this, always, you know, testing stuff where I'm like, I don't know how you have the patience to do that. But it always mm. like, you know, benefits you in the long run, the project as a whole. So we just looked at the bare minimum of what we needed to feed people once a day with snacks mm -hmm. and things that we had to buy. And then we raised that money internally. I just, you know, we just went to family members and said, can you lend us X, which they did. Yeah. And then we made it from there. And then of course, everything else is just your time, 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 time. Sure. Yeah. Just like you said, doing all that pre-production work, making it as tight as possible. So you're not sitting in a location going, I don't know, what kind of a shot should we have here? Maybe move the light a little to the left. You guys, shut yeah. up over there. So it was like a really, that learning experience of like, keep it tight, keep it fast and make sure that, you know, you're making decisions and they're just clear and immediate and let's make this happen. It was a really good learning yeah. experience for that. So yeah, that's where the money comes from. Fascinating. That's a really smart, practical way to do it i mean yeah it's it's kind of stories like that amaze me because i just feel like there are so many of them out there where especially with people's first feature they're just kind of like yeah we just kind of gathered up some random shit and made it right? <laughs> which gives me hope you know uh for for my own as someone who's i've got a feature written and no clue how i'm gonna make it but i'm going to so, well, I'll um, say too, you know, in Denver, your talent pool is so much deeper, but people work for money, you know, like, and, yeah. and they should get paid. They're professionals, but we don't really yep. have that much of a, of that here. We've made enough friends that work professionally or used to work professionally and now are retired, but are willing to work on our projects. And they often have gear packages that are just kind of left over from when they were still working professionally that they're like, here, let's just use this. And, you know, you don't I've never turn that down. Yes. So we don't need that much money, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Finished. What I mean, was your main goal with each of these just you had a story to tell and you wanted to make it or did did you have distribution in mind? Did you have festivals in mind? And, and how has that changed over time, if at all? 
as far as like what you wanted to do with the end product. I'll just go right back to my original story. Fear of Clowns was in Blockbuster. Right. And I said, sure. okay. we can make a movie and get it distributed. And it's not like that was a brand new idea for me. I wanted to, I'd probably been rolling for seven years looking at how to do this. What should we do? You know, hour long conversations with Chad of like, how are we gonna, what could we do? And so by the time we started making Wake the Witch and I was working as a producer at a really lower level, but professionally getting paid to do it, I figured it out out, you know, the things that we needed to get distribution. So I knew what our deliverables would already need to be. I knew that we would need on-set photos and we need a kick-ass poster and we'd need a real strong understanding of what our, you know, audio tracks were going to be like and blah, 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 blah. And Chad was already prepped for all of that. So when we shot it, we shot it on this camera that had kind of recently come out. And you have to keep in mind that this was pre-DSLR. And hmm. the camera okay. that we shot on was a JVC camera. And when we were putting the credits together, I wanted to use their logo and just thank you for, you know, whatever and other software that we had used to put it all together. I called JVC right. and I talked to an amazing woman who I think was the was the receptionist. And I explained what I wanted to do. I just want permission to use the JVC logo on the credits of this indie film. We used your camera. It was a great camera. And she said, I think I'll connect you to our marketing department. That sounds like something that they'd be interested in hearing. I said, great. So we talked to a guy and he said, you shot an indie film with our camera? I was like, yeah, it was great camera. We loved it. Light capabilities, blah, blah, blah. He was like, how would you feel if we wrote a press release and maybe got you guys some interviews? And I said, oh my God, that sounds great. We'd really love that. He said, you probably don't have like any set photos. I was like, no, we have everything that you need. Which we did. Wow. Yeah. So he hooked us up so hard. And we ended up like on the on the front page of some digital industry, um, you know, news like magazine for just I I don't even remember what it was. And it was amazing. And then distributors just started calling us. And so (laughs) I know it was like. It was like, kind of like you said, like your fr- when your freshman effort goes really well, you're like, oh, this is great. And then you're also like, oh shit, I have nowhere to go but down. <laughs> so we got all of it. We got all of this amazing press. We got all of these calls and we ended up with a distributor that was like, yeah, we're going to hook you up. We're going to get you on cable, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, really love to get on Netflix if there's anything you can do, because that is the holy grail. We're not going to get theatrically mm-hmm. distributed like that is a dream long gone from my from in my world and he was like yeah i'll see what i can do and then we got the call like yep they're gonna pick it up for three years yes wow oh my god how lucky was i crazy lucky because if you watch wake the witch josh which i don't know if you really should like if you haven't don't you know what i'm saying <laughs> But um, I don't know if it really, quote unquote, deserved to be on Netflix. It had a great poster. Nice. Okay. And I'm proud of it. But, you know, yeah, it's a really low budget, crazy little film. So. Sure. Well, I hear you. I mean, yeah. Still, that's what an incredible journey that was. And, and what a gift to have all that happen. That's really awesome. True. Um. But so then was your experience on the next two 
quite a bit different, it sounds like, or at least not as much not as much hype as Wake the Witch got. Not, or has there been no, some of that? No, it's true. Not as much hype. Because the crazy thing that happened is two, the, between the two years that we had released Wake the Witch and then we made Blood Rights, the concept of rights, digital rights, had really changed for a lot of the distributors where before they were willing to like break it up, like, I'll take the U.S. rights or we just want the international rights or whatever it was. Suddenly, oh. everyone was like, well, we want all the rights. And... Chad had made some connections with some other people that were like, well, we just want the international rights. And ultimately we just thought, well, we're going to, we're not going to go with the distributor that got us the Netflix deal. Why would we do that? We're just going to try something new and different. Hooray, which we did. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then it just ended up in, you know, nowhere for probably the three years that these folks had it. They didn't do anything with it. No, that's not true. Right at the very end of our, um, of that period, they connected it to this crazy fetish magazine called Girls and Corpses that wanted to release like some sort of, you know, like rubber stamp, like, hey, this is one of our movies. Watch this Girls and Corpses movie, Blood Rights. And Girls and Corpses is like this crazy ass fetish magazine. That's The title is very literal. That's a very literal thing that happens in that magazine. Okay, fair enough. And so I was like, okay, Blood Rise, that's all right, fine. I bet we didn't see any money for any of that release period. Mm. But the good news was is that we had made some connections with other distributors. And so when that original Blood Rise distributors um, contract ran out with us, we signed with somebody else who got us back on cable and we got corruptor on cable and that is great. Like you would think, Oh, video on demand. Wow. What a big deal. And it just doesn't feel like a big deal because so many people don't have cable these days and they'll just be like, well, is it on Netflix? And then you just have to go, no, you could watch it on Amazon, (laughs) but everyone can watch anything on Amazon. So sure. Yes. That, oh goodness, that whole dynamic and that whole world, which I'm very unfamiliar with, it just terrifies me. I mean, it, it probably doesn't need to, but it, I, I just feel like I would endlessly feel like the person who doesn't know what they're doing, kind, kind of like I felt on set, you know? Uh, and even, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to turn this about me, but no, just what, even submitting to film to film festivals was sort of a similar learning experience where it's just... You know, I couldn't help but be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about, oh, what if what if my movie takes off and it ends up being really, you know, whatever. Um, and of course, it doesn't. Everybody thinks that, and and it's just kind of like this. At at the end, you know, it was just sort of underwhelming, and and I realized that short films don't mean very much to anyone except the filmmaker, and that I don't know that festivals are kind of a racket in and of themselves anyway that's my own that's a separate topic but anyway it was interesting i'm not bitter but it just sounds familiar a little bit to working with distributors and kind of like this it's just this ethereal weird realm where there's kind of no rules or like you have to know the special way to approach it in order to even get anywhere and Anyway, you know, it's so funny to, to hear you say that about festivals and also short films, because I feel incredibly similar. It doesn't 
keep me from wanting to make short films will probably make yeah. about one a year. But yeah, festivals, man. I mean, it's it's weird. Well, were you going to say more about that? Please go ahead. No, just more. kind of along the lines of, yeah, sometimes it does kind of feel like a racket. And sometimes it also feels like you, there's a secret handshake that you don't get that everyone else gets. You look at your work and someone else's work and go, I don't understand how that got whatever. And this exactly. did not yes. when clearly. <laughs> and then of course you realize yeah. that your ego is just like yelling, but you're also like, clearly my work is at least as good, if not better. Deep breathing, right. just a lot of deep breathing. It's all good. So yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a strange thing. And I mean, experiences like Prairie Lights were awesome because it's a little more, it's, it's just much more community centric and it, it you get the sense that people are just excited to watch a bunch of local movies and that's great um but as far as like trying to network and get into the big ones and like ooh, where have your where's your thing played and what awards do you have and just realizing like everybody's there to talk about themselves not in the case of prairie lights but um and it's just like again bolstering up these accomplishments that actually are are like just trying they're just not that big of a deal and uh i don't know what i'm saying i guess i i had foolishly hoped not even to go big but at least for a, a little something different than what happened but ended up just basically you know spending like a thousand dollars on submission fees and and got into a total of four festivals and oh. realized that in most cases, this the fee is just all the people they're going to reject to keep their own festival going. Uh, you know, like they need those submissions to put on the festival, but they're going to reject like 98% of what comes in. So anyway. I hear that. Um, yeah, but let's get off of that. Yeah. <laughs> to hell with that. Yeah, fuck those festivals. That's what I'm saying, too. Although, side note, I will say uh, Prairie Lies Film Festival is my 100% favorite. They're non-competitive, yes. and I know that some people hate that shit, but I feel like it totally gives you the opportunity to really appreciate what everyone's bringing to the table at whatever level they are. You can, you just feel so much way less ego anger when I go to Prairie Lights than yeah. I do at other festivals where I'm just hating all the other filmmakers. So that's my yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, what is one great lesson you have learned, or you can give a couple, about directing specifically? Like whether that's through mistakes you've made or just the experience you have, what's what's like one nugget of wisdom that, that always stays with you when you go, go into direct? Wow, that's... An awesome question. I would say one of the things that I think about a bunch when I go in to direct is I caution myself not to try and talk too much or over explain. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like the, the quieter I can be and let things kind of play out and then choose my moments to speak, the more... What is the word? I'm like, not successful is maybe not quite right, but connective it can be. The times that I have acted and I've thought about directors as they try to explain what it is that they are looking for or they want, it all just becomes word salad so quickly 
to an actor who's just like looking for one or two things. Give me an action verb. Tell me where you want me to cross or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But you don't need to go into these in-depth explanations, which I have certainly done in the past. And to all the actors that have experienced that at my hands, I apologize. Like, thank you for just being kind and listening to me. I'll put that out there. So that is like a big thing that I think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. Here's one other thing that I was going to say is when you're directing and you're producing or you're directing and you are a kind person who wants to make sure that it wraps at this time you said that it was going to wrap. You know what I mean? Yes. A lot of times I have felt like, oh, I'm going to just step on that instinct, whatever it is, to change something. Like, I feel like this light should be over here. I just want to do one more take. And Mm. I would say the thing that I have really learned is to listen to that voice. Yeah. Do it. Whatever it is. If you're getting, if you're getting pushback or you're internally pushing back, like, oh no, let's just keep this moving. No, that is the time that you should be like, you know what? We're going to do one more take and it's going to be like this or whatever it is that you want done. I want to move this light. I want to try and something, something, something. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's great. Both of those. The, the first one you mentioned, it, it takes some, like it takes some humility and some some growth and life to just even recognize that, which I think is really good. Um, but yeah, then the second one is almost the flip side of like when you need to be bold and confident and forward, you do it. Because uh, often that weird little voice of inspiration or whatever it is, 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 is often a correct instinct to go with. So It's so true. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So what, I know you said Star Wars and Terminator sort of drew you to filmmaking, but what particularly brought you to telling very bloody, grotesque stories <laughs> with like gnarly violence? I mean, I, I love that. Um, but yeah, like, wow. It's so easy. I'll tell you, it's, it was the research and the research said the three genres that you can make with low budgets and no stars and still get distribution are horror, Christian, and gay filmmaking. Well, and that was probably like in the 2000s. I don't even know if that's even so much true anymore, but I can tell you this. Oh my goodness. The horror audience is hungry and they will eat seemingly metaphorically eat anything. We just call it the yes. beast. And I don't I don't say that in the sense to say that they are not discerning or should not be given respect because they absolutely should be. Every audience I think needs to be respected when you're making something for them. Otherwise it really comes across. If you don't give a damn, that's bullshit, but Hmm. they're willing to just forgive so much. And I love them for that. Like you cannot find a better place to try out weird ass shit than working in the horror genre. And the great thing is it's just cheek to cheek sisters with noir you know, except for like, there's more blood and some supernatural stuff. And so I've always felt like it will be easy. I don't know if this is really true to gently move into drama or whatever, you know what I mean? Will be next. So that is ultimately, well, and that, and when we looked at those genres and I thought, well, we could make Christian films. And then I thought, I just don't really know if I could, can, you know, give that audience what it's probably looking for, but I know I can give a horror genre audience what it's looking for. Boom. Like that. Hell yeah. That, 
That sounds. I've heard people say that being on set of of a horror film is often a blast because you get to play with prosthetics and blood, and it's just a big mess. But it's like really silly and fun, or it can be in a good setting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's totally true. And you feel a, a lot more like it's like dress up. It doesn't have to feel like as serious when the camera's not rolling. Everyone's like, ah. So the energy level is pretty high, or that has certainly been my experience. Yes. What is next for you? And you don't have to divulge things about your next feature if you don't want to. I'll tell you everything. What's, oh. what, okay. Yeah. What, what are you working on now? And what's, what are you excited about? So we are wrapping up projects that have been hanging in the wind. Um, we had a five episode web series called Heartless that is all fantasy magic noir-ish. Oh, nice. Four episodes completed. The fifth episode just needs those final, you know, audio, a little bit of VFX polish to get that yes. all finally done. And then I turned, I novelized that script. And so the novelization for Heartless is available as an ebook on Amazon. Plug, plug, plug. And yeah. Um, so if we got that done, it'd be nice to kind of rewrap those two things as like a package that. So, hey, oh, yeah, very right. Cool. Yeah. Then maybe five years ago, I shot this crazy, what essentially turned out to be feature length story idea called Boy Chasers. And it's about this town, Lincoln, where every year these women appear out of the woods and they come into town and they lure boys away and then just take them away and they never return. Oh, into it. And the yeah. town's kind of. The town has, the city has kind of just learned to accept that that's the case, but it's told through like these three different sort of camera eyes. This girl who has a, like a YouTube channel called Could It Be Real? And all she does is just drive around in the Midwest and explore like urban legends and ghost stories. And she shows up to do a story on these boy chasers, only of course to discover that they are in fact real. And it's nice. ridiculous and just like so bad good. We finally like did a rough cut sure. of it and I'm just I'm thinking, you know, why not just give it like an amazing score and some kick-ass sound design and just be like boom out there. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll So yeah. So you said you had shot that 5 years ago and it's just it had just been kind of sitting aside for a while. Yeah, I kind of. Or have you been editing that that long? Well, I started the rough cut, and it was one of those scenarios where my vision for what it could have been was so much higher than ultimately where it was executed at that I just got discouraged and sad and put it aside. Uh, so we finally were able to find someone who, in fact, my friend Dustin out in Los Angeles, who was like, "I can, I can rough cut that together for you." which he did. And then that's when I kind of had that renewed, like, Oh, I could love this again. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty- well, let's, let's talk about the getting discouraged and, and, and down about it. Uh, does that, how, how often does that happen or does it, cause often on this show, if you've, I, I won't presume that you've listened to any of them, but we often talk about like very deep things of, the heart and mind and spirit and just like human behavior and nature and depression and anxiety and all that. So all that to say, as much as you're willing to talk about it, like that, especially as an artist, how much is that 
present in sort of just your your projects and and do you have those days on on set where you're just like what the fuck am i doing i don't belong here i don't, I don't you know like why did i think i could ever do this or or do you not so anyway i know that was a lot but I have listened to some of your podcasts and that's one of the things that I love about what you're doing is really addressing the complicated truths of creating and then also just being human. So yes. Mm. And yes, also very real. I bet at the beginning of every project, every big project that we've done, there comes a point where I'm just like, Fuck this fucking project. This will be the last thing I ever make. I obviously am not capable of doing this and I'm not surrounded by anyone who gives a damn. Yeah. And of course, then you power through, you know, I'm, I've done it enough, I guess, to know that it's likely that it will pass. <laughs> likely is kind of yeah. the underscore with that. But I remember this sounds really weird. But um, there was a, a Jeremy Renner born identity. Maybe it was called the yeah the born something. There's anyway, too many of them now. I was right? obsessed <laughs> with that movie. Yeah, yeah, I was obsessed with that movie for a while. I thought the story structure was just so good, so I watched it over and over. And I also watched and listened to um, the commentary by the director. And that was his first time directing. He had been the writer of the born movies prior Whoa. to that, and he talked about. Um, one of the early scenes that they shot was uh, Jeremy Renner and I forget who the actress is. They're in this car talking and he said, I'm trying to explain to them, like, this is how we're going to do it. And yeah, it's a little bit different from the way they've done stuff like this before. And he was like, I was getting all this pushback. And he just said, you know what? I just thought like, fuck this fucking movie. He literally oh, says no. this on the commentary. He's like, I almost just threw <laughs> my cell phone into the woods and just walked away and was like, I'm never coming back to civilization. I don't want to be here anymore. And I thought, wow. if somebody at that level can feel like that about a project where they've got all of this like underlying support structure from my perspective, I'm not alone. That's like, thank God. I really appreciated him sharing that because that's like the kind of thing where people could point to that. You know, I feel like Michael Bay probably never has a day like that. I mean, when, you know, you like look right. at his work, like there's no way he just walks in every day. Like, yep, shorter skirts. Let's do this or whatever it is that right. he says. But, yes. you know, when it comes to that, all of that darkness and that anxiety, man, sometimes I think that it's just the, the thought that there are projects there that I want to create or you feel that call to, you know, just be, what is it? There's some poet who has a line that says, let me be the hole in the flute that Christ's breath moves through. Sometimes I'm just wow. like, I, I've never heard that. That's I beautiful. just want to be that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Just whatever. No, that's, that's a great answer. Does specifically is horror a, vehicle for you to explore any of those ideas necessarily about or or do you view it as more just like a good fun bloody time because some horror can do a really good job of like digging into you know depth of, and darkness of humanity and exploring those ideas i agree i agree a hundred percent that's the kind of horror honestly that i'm most interested in <clears throat> which is 
what Chad and I define the difference between fantasy darkness and human darkness. And human darkness is always, honestly, in a lot of ways, the more horrifying. It's kind of like what makes a movie like Fury, the tank movie, that's how I always think of it as, yes. as both a horror movie and obviously it's a war movie. Oh, preach it. You that, know what I mean? That one particularly, oh. but anyway, carry on. Yeah, It's just, yeah, it, just gut-wrenching. I don't... I like I like a good healthy dose of fantasy so a lot of our horror feels sort of fantastical and human dark and yeah I mean in essence yeah you're totally right I do love it for the opportunity to dig into things like that a lot of my childhood really revolved around some weird dark places my mom was super into true crime, and so she would talk about, you know, murder scenes and murder, real murders that had happened in the town that we were living in, and why, and let's talk about these motivations and what the what the police found. And when I went to the mortuary and they told me about heart flies, which are these big fat flies that really love, you know, to get into decaying bodies and eat the meat that's and those are just things that my mom from her perspective is just like yeah and i've always been like wow i'm gonna use that my mother's like wait why so dark because i learned it from you mom (laughs) yeah that's pretty clear correlation my goodness well what are some of your horror standbys like films that you can just watch over and over and never get sick of them and you love every minute of it so, what are my horror standbys? You know what? I really love um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Love it. It's so... Mm. The dream aspect of it is the thing that I love the most. Because, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. That's such a gateway to the fantastic. You know, the yeah. so strange. And the other movie that I really love that's such a touchstone for me is Phantasm. The original one. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. Crap. That movie is just straight up crazy awesome. I just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And that's one of the things that I love about it. It just has such a feeling to it. So, yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. My, I have a friend who here, he is a horror fanatic and he, he's like one of these deep cut people who will find the most random shit on VOD and it's his new favorite thing, you know? So the, like the horror darling of the time is not good enough for him. He has to go find the most obscure, right. bizarre thing. Anyway, I kind of love that. So he has turned me on to a bunch of great, particularly kind of in that era of phantasm, like eighties and late seventies and um, that sort of thing. So anyway, give, he's Give my, me a title. Yeah, yeah. Tell me some. Well, so they, I mean, I guarantee you're going to know what they are because I'm such a horror amateur, but like he, he introduced me to Halloween three season of the witch, which was great. Yes. Um, he introduced me to Nightbreed, which is not great, but it's kind of fun because it's such a clusterfuck of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nightbreed, and obviously, the Clive, um, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Clive Barker. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, he introduced me to Hellraiser, Pumpkinhead, um, 
gosh, definitely John Carpenter. I mean, he, I, I knew the thing is one of my favorite movies. I think it's flawless. I think it's, it's perfect. Um, anyway, but John Carpenter obviously has a lot of great work that didn't necessarily get big. And and now I know there's sort of like a resurgence for appreciation for his work, which is great. But, um, anyway, those are the ones that, that come to mind, which I feel like those are for most people who grew up with horror. Those are like the standard hitters like that, you know, that's, that's easy stuff that, you know, that's not even obscure, oh, right. oh, great. but may, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you know, anyway, no, I hear you. Um, what about more recently? Did, was there anything horror or otherwise that you just really took to for movies? You know, what's funny is when the grudge came out, I remember seeing that in the theater and just being terrified because the real truth is, is that I'm afraid of the dark. I, I'm not looking to seek out terrifying things in my real life life. It's no, no. Yeah. So I bet for a month after seeing the grudge, as soon as the sun started to set, I would literally all of my senses would just go on high alert. Like what is it coming? What was that noise? Mm. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> I was like, I yes. never should have watched that movie. Fuck that movie. God. Yeah. Sometimes the sound design alone can like certain sound effects can just, you'll be insistent that you hear them in your real life. And it's like, oh my gosh. Uh, I remember seeing this isn't even a good movie, but I saw Wes Craven's They, which is like about weird little creatures that scurry around in the dark and they I, I don't even remember the movie that well but the main gimmick is that these little creatures are always just like you catch a glimpse of them and then they're in the shadows and so driving home from that movie I would just think I saw little like little wisps in the dark um, anyway but that's kind of amazing what movies can do to our psyche, specifically horror. And stay there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're right yeah. about the sound design because now when I watch horror movies, I'll just mute them. And even then, sometimes it does not <laughs> entirely work. Oh, you know what I was going to say? Remember when Scream came out? So meta. Sure. Yeah. That yeah. was like a big touchstone for me. I was fascinated by that movie. Nice. Yeah. That one is so strange because it's like... It, it's so crazy that they pulled it off because it's kind of a parody and yeah. it's kind of pretty terrifying. It's like a, it's, you know, they're presenting all the tropes of the genre, but yet still doing it in kind of an original way. So anyway, yeah. Well, so as we wrap up here, where can people find your work, Dorothy? Where are you on social media or online? Where can people find your films and all that? Yes. Well, they could find... Um a lot of stuff about me and a filmography of mine on dorothyborum.com. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess I could probably spell that out because it's not like everyone knows how to spell that. It's D-O-R-O-T-H-Y. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put a, I'll put a, a link in the show notes. Yay. And then also um, unfiltered entertainment, which is unfiltered-ent.com. That's our production company's website and it's got stuff as well. And then you could find all of our, all of our features are on Amazon. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Hell yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, it was an absolute joy talking to you. I'm so glad we made this work. 
and um, I probably could still learn a lot from you as a filmmaker. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just thank you for doing this and thank you for coming up to me in a breakfast restaurant so that this could happen. <laughs> it was such a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. And I'm really, really grateful and teamwork that we we made this this recording, this podcast all come together. So yes. Cool. Awesome. Well, all right. Take care, Dorothy. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Josh. You too. And goodbye. Can you believe it? That's a conversation. How'd you enjoy that? Huh? Come on. Pretty good one. I thought it was great. I don't give a shit if you enjoyed it. I, I had a great evening talking to Dorothy. Um, I, I would have enjoyed that even if it wasn't content to put out on the internet. Um, go watch Dorothy's movies if you've got a, a strong stomach for blood and you just want to throw on something wild and have a good time seek them out they are on amazon like she said there's links in the show notes to her sites and her work and just seek it out and have some fun man get a little bloody maybe maybe uh strengthen your your stomach for gore <laughs> perhaps it'll it'll be a discipline um yeah thank you for being here thank you for listening i love you guys that this matters enough to you for you to put it in your ears. It's a good thing. I'm grateful. See you next time.